0: I think because their metric system is just, it's three things. So if outside of those three things, they don't consider themselves bad. Where it's like, because there's so little things on that list, it's pretty easy to check them off. And now that like we're talking about it, I'm thinking about my male clients and not one of them has shown up and been like, I'm exhausted. And every single one of my female clients show up and they're like, I'm exhausted. Every single one.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Allie Rizakas. Ali is the founder of Ali Rizakas Coaching, and she is the imposter syndrome coach. And in our conversation, we talk about something that I think afflicts all of us in sales at one time or another, and that is the imposter syndrome. So, we start off the conversation as Ali shares what the imposter syndrome is and who it is most likely to affect. We explore the five different archetypes, if you will, of imposters or imposter syndrome, and you may recognize yourself as we explore what each of these are. For example, like the perfectionist, who's always afraid that they aren't measuring up to expectations, even when they are. And then we dig into how Allie works with people to help them overcome this challenge. So we get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Allie, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So, thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Allie, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Andy.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. So, um, you're not up in the the frozen north where you usually live. You're somewhere else now.
0: Yeah, not where my LinkedIn says. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I uh, actually, funny enough, I was updating my like my um, company page, and it was saying where do you live, and I just put the beach. <laughs> <For now. laughs> I couldn't bring myself to say Toronto, which I'm originally from, but I'm currently in Hilton Head, South Carolina, living by the beach.
1: Yeah, you sort starting like an extended tryout of the digital nomad lifestyle. Basically,
0: fair? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've
1: sampled lots of different places recently.
0: Ever since I started, ever since I left corporate. So I left corporate March 30th, 2020. Yeah. And basically May 15th, I started traveling. So my parents live in New York. So I went to New York for a bit. Then we went to Denver. Then we did Hawaii. Went back to Toronto for a little bit. And um, then I did Costa Rica for a couple months. And yeah, which was beautiful and lovely. Then went back to Toronto for like 12 days. And we originally came to Hilton Head um, for New Year's. So my brother's uh, in laws have a place here, so we often come for New Year's. Mm So New Year's was obviously December 31st. We were supposed to go back January 11th, and we're still here. We just keep extending (laughs) it.
1: And why not, right? It's what faces you back. Yeah, what faces you back in Toronto is not summer.
0: And what I've honestly, what I've learned from all these travels is that your environment really does matter. Like, it really does put you in a different state, you know?
1: And so, of all the places you've been, if you could say, okay, I'm just going to go stay, Mm. where would that be?
0: There's so much, like, I loved Denver, but it has winter. So, I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) I'm doing that. Hawaii.
1: Yeah. No winter in Hawaii.
0: Yes, no winter in Hawaii. Hawaii is magical, but there's like a little lack of... Uh, entertainment, like people, like 8 p.m., everything is shut down, you know? And that's okay. I can honestly go to bed at 10 p.m., but.
1: Well, that's here's the secret, though. Is you weren't in Honolulu.
0: Yes, exactly. I was in Maui. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: So maybe in Honolulu would be different. That's, that's true.
1: I mean, we've been, my wife and I go multiple times a year, typically to Hawaii, not so much, obviously, the last couple years. And we've got to the point, you know, we spent a lot of time in Maui and Kauai and love Maui and Kauai, but we actually find we really enjoy Honolulu. Mm. For the so actors? Yeah. yeah. yeah we've, we've become members of the <laughs> Honolulu Museum of Art and, and oh, all, nice. all these other yeah. things. You know, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's just sort of this, one of the most diverse cities,
0: mm. I think, in the yeah. United
1: States. And yeah, we just like it a lot.
0: I've, so I've never been to Honolulu. I've never been to that island. i right. then Maui and Big Island, basically. But There's I think. Your tip. Yeah, but perfect. That's I'll book the next flight. Okay. <laughs> but I think what you just said about, like, you know, we're members of the, the museum there, or um, I think the important piece in that is, like, you need to find your community, right? Mm. And so. It, when I was in Costa Rica is really when I started to find my community. And that's really what kind of this traveling has been about for me is finding a community of people that are kind of focused on the same thing, like building their own businesses and trying to design and create a life that really like lights them up and, and mm-hmm. makes them feel alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so leaving Costa Rica was, you know, bittersweet <laughs> and Hilton Head, listen, is like, so calm and quiet i have no external stressors like there's no noise pollution there's no light pollution like it's so peaceful mm. but also lack of action you know yeah. lack of lack of community right like i like we were joking about before Del yeah. belca vista down here <laughs> you know belca like vista. <laughs> i am the youngest person they've ever seen More you know <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: yeah right um, so i would say
0: costa rica because like so i'm going back and like you know, one of my best friends will be there. Another girl that I met while I was there is also going to be there. Mm-hmm. Like so many of us are kind of coming back together and meeting there. Hmm. And like, that's, that's the nice part, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, you have to keep us posted on your year. Uh,
0: LinkedIn. We'll keep you posted.
1: Yeah. On your travels. Yeah. We'll stalk you there. So yeah, you are the imposter syndrome coach. So v. wow. Well, <laughs> Hey, that's what your LinkedIn title says. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, if it says that on LinkedIn... It's real. It's real, right? <laughs> so, uh, let's dig into that. So, I mean, I th- sorry, very interesting positioning is is. first of all, may it just tell people? They may know, perhaps, they think they know what the imposter syndrome is, but, but tell us what that is.
0: Yeah. So, how it's kind of clinically defined, if you will, is incessant thoughts um, negative thoughts about how you aren't successful despite clear evidence that you are successful. So kind of really acting like, feeling like a fraud. Like, oh my god, like I'm not good enough. Someone's going to find out I shouldn't have this job and I'm going to get fired type of thinking.
1: So feeling like you're not as competent perhaps as others think you are.
0: Yeah. And one thing I do want to say to make a distinction of is like, what i want to break the stigma about is it's not something that you like have like people are like oh i have that it's something that you feel like it's not like you don't have to be cured of imposter syndrome like it's you're not broken like it's a collection of thoughts and it's something that you feel you know
1: so okay well that makes sense is is uh how is it yeah most often manifested i mean if, if i mean I, I, i've had my own uh, <laughs> struggles with it. but but, from time to time, but, yeah, typically for most people, what's how it sort of manifest? How huh? they sort of say, "Oh, gosh, this is really this is what's what's working at me,
0: yeah. Well, I think it's like <clears throat> the magnitude, the loudness, and the consistent negative self-talk, right? Like it's like it's overbearing. And it's so much louder than anything else in your head, right? And it kind of like spirals you into this vortex of not feeling good enough, and then your confidence gets shot, and then you don't show up as, you know, with conviction and whatnot. And, you know, in the corporate settings, so all my clients are, are in the corporate setting, you know, it can look like the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the ones that always comes up is like, it can look like being afraid to speak up in a meeting for fear of saying something stupid. Mm-hmm. you know i was like that seems so innocuous but like huge right it can feel like not going for a promotion because you don't think you're good enough for it right right a- another big one is um overworking because you're constantly trying to prove that you're meant to be there and you're smart enough and you're good enough. So you like take on more and say yes to more things. And so you're totally overworked and totally overexhausted. And you, and what happens is you stop prioritizing yourself and your needs and every single, like every single time I have a new client, they're just like, I'm exhausted. And I'm like, Oh, I know (laughs) Yeah, it's exhausting to try to like prove yourself thinking that you need to prove yourself constantly, you know?
1: Yeah, I was I was uh, doing some research in preparation for this, and I came across this article. This woman wrote that said there are you know, five types of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. if you will, and one of them is mm-hmm. just as you described—the superwoman slash superman—is that people are convinced that they have to work harder and harder to measure up because they're convinced they're inadequate, right? Yeah, uh, convinced they're phonies.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's interesting. Well, I mean, we, this is something we all suffer from from some degree at some point, right? I mean, I remember when I was writing my first book, and this was, I don't know, 10 plus years ago at this point, Mm. and I was in New York City and Manhattan and was looking for a quiet place to write, and the city has these writing rooms. Um, You can go in, and they're basically quiet spaces where you subscribe, become a member, and then you walk in and you just grab an empty desk or a Mm. soft chair or couch somewhere and, and write. And so you had to sign in. And so I remember signing in and looking at some of the names on the sign, and it's like,
0: mm.
1: holy shit, these are real authors here. <laughs> yeah. I recognized two screenwriters, uh, one famous wow. movie director, some other novelists that, and I'm like, <laughs> I'd never written anything before. And I was like, I'm just writing my little sales book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. Yeah, it felt like, yeah, huge imposter in that, that scenario. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, are there times in your life where you haven't felt it? Where like maybe you think you should have felt it or, you know, it would be commonplace to feel it, but you're like, "No, I just I feel really confident in what I'm doing and who I am."
1: Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I I think well, I think sort of the underlying thing for me is is I have sort of this baseline of optimism mm. that sort of carries me through that's like yeah, even if things are really bad, they'll be better and they'll be okay.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: That's that sort of has informed my my outlook in life. And but yeah, there are definitely moments where, for me, a lot of times it's it's triggered by other people
0: mm-hmm.
1: who, it appears on the surface that everything's easy for them,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: right? And then you're mm-hmm. thinking, well, what's wrong with me? <laughs> right yes. is is yes. like early in my sales career because I'm relatively introverted in social situations. Is yeah, mm. people who just just seem to be able to make it really easy to strike up conversations with strangers and and yeah. so on. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, that
0: that's not me. So I guess I'm never going to be as successful, right?
1: Yeah, well I sort writing about it in this latest book, but it's it's it was a way to go and work your way through that pretty easily. But yeah, it does strike you.
0: There was um a Simon Sinek video that I shared the other day that was exact talking about exactly what you just said, right? As leaders, it's so important. Like the theme for the talk was around authenticity and mm-hmm. I guess right. courageous authenticity, right? And it's so important for leaders to like let their team know like when they're not okay like when things are hard for them like when they don't have it all together because I think as leaders we often think like gotta have it all together gotta make it look easy gotta be perfect like you know and it's that is kind of what can breed imposter syndrome right is because what happens is as if you're giving that perception to your team right as a leader that to be a leader you need to have it all together and never show any weakness now your team's like well clearly like I like i'm I can't do that. Like I'm a mess inside. I, how would I ever be as perfect as that, right? And so that they and then they think that they're never going to be as successful because they can't be like that, right? so to to me, like authentic leadership is like literally letting people know like when you're not okay and that it's okay to not be okay, you know?
1: well, and along with that, I would add is is it's okay to let people know what you don't know, yes, yeah. because
0: that you're not perfect.
1: That you're not perfect, and I, I think this goes hand in hand. I think this is, in my estimation, this is this is one of the real problems with sales leadership, mm-hmm. and this is not a new new issue. I think it's it's been exacerbated recently by I don't know, just the environment, perhaps. But
0: well, you kind of only get a snapshot of someone
1: when yeah. you're
0: on Zoom calls, right? You can kind of perform on the call. Well, there's
1: that, but I but I think one of the things that's yeah, I I sort of first really noticed this when I started my consulting business 20 plus years ago. And and, and when I first got started with the business, I was marketing my services to VPs of sales. Mm. Yeah. You know, chief sales officers had no one to call themselves chief revenue officer at that time. But and I I wasn't having much success. And what I sort of finally dawned on me was, oh, these people are all afraid to go to the CEO and say, mm, they "I need help."
0: Need help. Mm, yeah, to a person, because mm. the
1: assumption is that if you carry the title, got it all together, you've got it all together. You know everything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. and unfortunately, people f- try to live up to that, right? Yep. So I think that I think there's <laughs> so many changes we need to make in the way we, uh, you know, structure sales organizations and leadership around them. And one that, that I give oftentimes is, you know, if you ever watch the show Billions,
0: I haven't, but I've heard okay. much
1: about right. it. So, one of the yes. key characters there in this this hedge fund trading firm is uh, on staff, is one of the sort of principles of the firm, is a psychiatrist.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I, I think that Brilliant. everything we've read about mental health and mental well being within sales organizations, in particular, is you don't need to have a very big sales team, I think, in order to justify having somebody on retainer at a minimum, if not on staff, a psychologist of sort
0: mm-hmm.
1: to help sellers. Because yeah. this is a performance-based profession. And if you draw the parallels to professional of course, sports.
0: Of course, performance-based.
1: they have performance-based. They have staff psychologists. They have people they call on. Uh, that's just one example. I've got others.
0: Well, and it would be insane for any sports team to not have a coach we'll not
1: we'll not have a a psychologist right that type of support right yeah so so in sales though we put people in charge who have no grounding in performance improvement no mm-hmm. nothing about psychology and this is not a criticism this mm-hmm. is a position we put them in and they're assumed that they are experts in well how do i how do i motivate people or how mm-hmm. do i how do I help somebody improve their performance in a way that's more scientifically driven, perhaps, than just by anecdote based on your own experience? Mm-hmm. And as a result though, I feel like, well, I must be the expert in that because I hold that title. So I'm not gonna I can't ask to bring somebody in to help.
0: Yeah. Totally. Totally. I I mean, this has been my forever struggle with leadership right because it it, I I feel like the problem is so obvious like what you just described I mean is like no one gets leadership training people are thrusted into leadership because they were the top performer right and Mm -hmm. as a as a top performer you know you are inherently very you focused right to be a top performer you got to be working on your craft thinking about you right of course you're maybe collaborating with people obviously that's a part mm-hmm. of it but your motivation is you as a as an individual contributor right and then tomorrow you're a leader for people and now your motivation needs to come from somewhere else because it's not about you anymore you're never going to get the accolades and the award you know no one's going right. to shout you out right how do you how does someone's motivation and drive change
1: overnight well to your point it's we don't give the people the tools to handle those jobs. Yeah. And I say this we collectively, I mean obviously there are exceptions <laughs> in, in larger organizations that have more well-established leadership training and management training. But by and large, unless you're one of those big companies, which you know, most people aren't working for those large companies, they don't get this. And so it is that's why I I I feel you know horrible for frontline managers who are thrust into these high pressure jobs, especially you know we're seeing increasingly in the tech world where the tenure of everybody within the sales organization is basically about a year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one's ever like hit their zone of excellence when they do get a new job. You know, get promoted. Yeah, they to go jumping yeah. And instead
1: of doubling down and learning more. They they yeah. jump somewhere. Yeah, and I wonder sometimes too whether that that desire to jump is sort of based on the idea that. I need to go before people really find out who I am.
0: Mm. Maybe. Maybe. I think the other thing too that I think about is the reasons sometimes people get into leadership. You know, is it are you doing it because it's really, you know, you're passionate about leading others, or are you doing it because it's like just what you're supposed to do because that's the next thing of climbing the ladder?
1: Well, I think there's certainly some of that. If 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 it's not Laid out for people clearly that hey, there's a career here for people that just want to be individual contributors, mm-hmm. and I think I think more and more people are comfortable with that role. I mean, it's be, certainly in the tech world you see more of that. People have been, yeah, like senior account execs, or in some cases, you know, they want the companies made to reward them with with titles and so on as they're doing bigger and bigger accounts, but they're still fundamentally. Yeah individual contributors.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's great, but I think companies need to do a better job of spelling out what that path looks like. Mhm. Totally. So, if you so don't that be they don't managers, feel, Yeah. Yeah, left on but as, you know, it so taking on bigger accounts, uh, you know, specific types of accounts, whatever yeah. that enrich the career of the individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it can't just be leadership. Yeah. Because it's really not for everyone. You have no. to re- you have to really really like people, first and foremost. And you have to really, really be motivated by other people's success and the impact that you make on other people.
1: Exactly. And I think that's, that is unfortunately sort of the missing piece. Because yeah. if you put people who are inexperienced on in those jobs, who don't understand these fundamentals about how to really work through other people and help other people succeed to become the best version of themselves, then you get the scenario we oftentimes see in, in, some companies where the frontline managers just rely on managing by activity and metrics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And
1: because yes. that's something that's clear to them. Easy, they get it. I can grasp that. I can grasp exactly. those numbers. You're not making enough calls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What? Make more calls.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that then becomes the, the solution to everything, right?
0: Yeah. One of the things I talk to I talk a lot about with um, my clients that are leaders is. Really around having a vision and a mission as a leader. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, where leaders, where imposter syndrome starts to seep in, and they start to feel a lack of confidence and, you know, a lack of being able to make strategic decisions and whatnot, is when they don't do their own personal work, right? So you mentioned, like, how do you motivate others? How do you understand others? Well, listen, you got a real good canvas in yourself to try try Mm -hmm. that on, right? Like, you need to do the work to understand yourself. And when you do the work to understand yourself, you'll very easily understand what is your vision? What is your mission? And that is so important as a leader, I find, because I want to work for a leader that is very clear, you know, that like, I know exactly who I'm working for. I know why they care about their job. I know what they're trying to do. I know what their vision is, right? Because then I can say, yep, I'm in. Let's go. I'm into this vision. Like I want to hitch my horse to your wagon. But when a leader is unclear, it's much harder for the team to rally around that leader.
1: Right. Well, the fact is, it's never been easier for leaders to do that work. And yeah. the simple way to do it is post on LinkedIn. Mm. What do you What do you believe in? What's your point of view about management? What's your point of view about compensation? How you structure territories? How you develop individuals? How you help individuals improve? Put yourself out there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, it's like, you could say, well, journal. Right? Mm -hmm. You're never going to, as an individual, you're never going to understand these things unless you force yourself to reduce them to writing. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, I mean, I firmly believe that. And So, if you want to have a better understanding of yourself, is yeah, put it in writing. So maybe maybe start with a journal, but then post it on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah,
1: that's what it's there for, right? Is is come to an understanding of yourself. I know this would make people cringe when they think, oh, well, you want me to go post my I think well, on Well, the imposter
0: syndrome that would show up for that.
1: <laughs> that's right. <But laughs> yeah. that's yeah. one of the things that you overcome.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean it's like putting yourself in you know challenging yourself every day right putting yourself in a hard situation every single day right I think that's like maybe the David Goggins thing or one of those people like say that but I mean LinkedIn is a very easy but hard thing to do every day you know what I mean like putting yourself out there every
1: day sure but it and you have that I mean
0: so I, it's so available on it for a,
1: for a long time and I you know, still occasionally feel it I mean publish a new book yeah a new book coming out I think by the time this airs, it'll be out, and it's like, I don't know. It's my third book, but you still have that moment where it's like, "Is everybody going to think I'm an idiot?"
0: Yeah, (laughs) I know it's so funny because, like, no one is. Like, I'm so excited for your book. I'm like, Andy wrote a book. Of course, I'm reading it.
1: You know. (laughs) Well, thank you, but but yeah, Yeah. no, but it's it's still there, right? So, but the way we we. Arm ourselves against, I was going to say shield, but we can't completely shield ourselves against. The way you arm yourself against it is to have a point of view, put it out in public, let people respond to it, and continue to grow with it.
0: Yeah. I think there's this thing about um, fitting in, right? Like we've been kind of conditioned our whole lives to fit in, you know, through schooling and whatnot, because fitting in means safety. Right. Then you're a part of a, you know, tribe or a community or, you know, mm-hmm. you fit in with the crowd. You're, you're safe. And so, you know, you just said point of view, which is why I'm bringing this up. Right. Sure. I think people are afraid to have a point of view because will they fit in?
1: Well, but if they don't have a point of view increasingly, then they're not going to get the job they want. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you're a hiring manager and you, most certainly are looking at people's LinkedIn profiles to, to hire them for a job, especially a leadership position of any sort, mm-hmm. even a frontline manager if you're not promoting from within, which you should be, but if you're not, it's like okay, what's who is this person? What do they stand for?
0: Exa- exactly. What do you believe?
1: What do you believe? And yeah. if they look at your LinkedIn profile and you believe seemingly nothing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then you'll pale in comparison to the person that, that, uh, that does.
0: Has a point of view. Totally. I mean, everyone that I see on LinkedIn that's, you know, creating a brand for themselves and a voice and has a point of view, I'm just like, oh, I'm in awe of you because I only started really, you know, sharing my point of view on LinkedIn when I started, you know, being a full time coach. And it's Mm -hmm. the one, it's honestly the one regret I have. So I talk about a lot on LinkedIn about how it took me eight years to get to becoming a full time coach, although I was Mm -hmm. like trained eight years ago as a coach, but I stayed in corporate and it was hard to leave and la la la. I don't regret staying in corporate for those eight years. I mean, my experience was, sure. I mean, it was so useful. Right. And I couldn't do what I'm doing now. Eight years ago, you know, like there was just, it went to, it went to work. But the one thing I do regret is I wish I started sharing my point of view on LinkedIn eight years ago. Yeah. Like imagine my audience by this point, yeah. you know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I I share that sentiment. I mean, I started even later in life than you. And mm. yeah, if there's I again, I don't traffic in regrets <laughs> very often. Right. But if Me I have, neither.
0: that's why it's like my only one.
1: <laughs> yeah. If I had one is I yeah, I would have started doing this. Uh which could've been podcasting, yeah, posting on LinkedIn, writing books, blogging, yeah. all that I would have sharing. Sharing. I would have started sooner, but What the heck? Better late than never.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I'm so, so happy that I do it. I mean, I've made so many amazing friends on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. because they know who I am. They know exactly what they're gonna get when they talk to me. You know, it's there's no surprise. And people that believe in what I believe, because that's what I talk about on LinkedIn, they're gonna message me and they're gonna wanna, you know, be my friend. And so it's created this entire community for me online that like, you know, now I'm Going to one of their birthdays in Lisbon. Never even met them in person, but I'm going to their birthday in Lisbon. You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, I was I was uh, walking. I don't know, walk early evening with my wife uh, last week. Last week in in San Diego, and someone said, "Hey, Andy." I'd never met them in person.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just they had seen my photo online. Wow. <laughs> your big shot. You're big time. Yeah, such a big shot, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's someone I communicate with, and yeah, yep. it took twenty seconds or so to start place the connection. But it's like, yeah, it's basically a LinkedIn connection.
0: It really, like, it really shrinks the world in a in the nicest way possible. You know what I mean? Like, we're not that like separate and different and spread apart as you think.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So. Back to imposter syndrome. So I yeah. just want to run through these these five types because we've been talking about it. But it's, it's fascinating. This is an article written by one named Valerie Young, and she mm-hmm. said five types. If one was the perfectionist, and there and there mm-hmm. is, based on other things I've read, is is there is this tie between imposter syndrome and perfectionism
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you know, people are because. just afraid afraid they aren't measuring up. Yeah, right. Because it's not perfect. It's not it's not perfect. You know. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah, if you're a real perfectionist. Heads up on that. Yeah. Uh, second one was Superwoman, Superman. Yeah. People experience phenomena because their phonies have to push themselves harder to measure up. And so, one question I had on that is just wondering, based on your practice, it would seem like, you know, sir, sort of given where we are and where we've been, is maybe women feel this more acutely than men.
0: I would. Ha- I definitely have more women clients than than yeah. men. Um, how I think about it is that there was like a study when I was. When I was getting certified in positive psychology, I remember there was, we talked about this study around like women were asked, like, what do you, like, write down all the things that you feel like you need to be good at or Mm -hmm. something like that, right? And they wrote like between 12 to 15 things on that piece of paper. And they asked, (laughs) right? Men. And they they asked men, and the average was three, right? (laughs) Of course. Classic. And so I think, honestly, like, that's the most illuminating piece of evidence that I have, which is like, I think women just like we've been programmed, and we have a paradigm that was you know programmed in us that says we have to be good at so many things, like being good at three things is not enough,
1: right yeah well, yeah, I mean it sort of reminds me of of uh posts from a woman who um <laughs> whose name I'm blanking on mm. um oh Tiffany hempel from, mm. yes and well she used to be about, at LinkedIn,
0: yeah,
1: yeah who wrote about you know in the midst of pandemic she she identified she had 13 jobs
0: mm. Mm. yeah and mom and this huh? oh yeah yeah yeah, and, and, yeah.
1: yeah. the list yeah. for men was much shorter so
0: exactly
1: so yes that'd be that would be under, understandable and mm. I think maybe some of that though too with again perhaps is men maybe lacks some of the and this is not criticizing men but I think just instinctively maybe Lack some of the emotional intelligence to, mm. to maybe feel inadequate in certain situations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- yeah, I think they. Well, we because bluster, I think we bluster through. I, well, and I think because their metric system is just it's three things. So if well, outside of those three things, they don't consider themselves bad at any. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. where it's like because there's so little things on that list, it's pretty easy to check them off. Now now that like we're talking about it, I'm thinking about my male clients and not one of them has shown up and been like, I'm exhausted. And every single one of my female clients Mm show up and they're Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm exhausted. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. Third third. So we've been through the perfectionist to superwoman, superman, the natural genius, we started touching on this, is um, people feel they need to be naturally good at something, right? Yeah. one yeah. of the examples, you know, the connection part didn't come really super easy to me. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I know, Yeah, still to this day I have friends that walk into a room full of strangers, social setting, business setting, whatever. Yeah, no issue with them at all. I yeah. still it's still hard work for me.
0: Yeah, but does it make you bad at it?
1: No, it doesn't make me bad at it. Just or I ineffective it. at it. Yeah, I'm definitely not ineffective at it. I just do it <laughs> differently, and it it yeah it took me a while in my career to go get to the point saying like, oh yeah, okay, I don't really envy them. I just do it differently.
0: Yeah, well, so what's interesting is like the kind of three universal wounds that we all kind of fall into. One of them is I'm not enough. Which mm-hmm. like is the crux of imposter syndrome. Right. but the but the other one is I'm different, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling like you're different than other people. So what you just described is that, like, oh, well, I'm not naturally chatty, talkative, and charismatic, you know in 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 crowds, so I'm different. and using that as like a reason to feel not good enough, right, and not confident yeah. and all that kind of stuff, right? I must not belong here because that doesn't come easy to me. Which like, by the yeah, way, actually, isn't that isn't that always salespeople like right? They have one bad month, they're like, Well, I guess sales isn't for me. You know <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, yeah. I've had more than one bad month, but still Well early on in
0: your sales career. Yeah, right? early on, Like the, the first one, you're like, Well, see, I guess guess it's not for me. And you're like, No, yeah, oh, you just
1: I had sort of this different tech, and again, I talk about it in my book is is just I knew that the difference would be my my superpower.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is?
1: Well, being more human focused um, and the things I describe in the book is, is, yeah, it wasn't, and I'm not salesy, right? Yeah. Quintessentially. But but I was surrounded by people that were. Mm -hmm. And yeah, over time, just I sort of understood it's like, oh, yeah, not being that way is actually, said, my advantage.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's like people take I'm different as a negative, but it's actually always your superpower.
1: Yeah, precisely.
0: Yeah. It's like just the lens that you look at it from.
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things we can do as leaders is to give people permission to look through those lenses. Mm -hmm. And And, and show them
0: a different perspective,
1: too. Right, and show them a different perspective. And again, that's not to... (laughs) Too overly self promotional, but again, I talk about that specifically in the <laughs> book is, is that leaders have to feel comfortable giving their sellers more autonomy to to view things differently
0: mm-hmm. and to be different yeah. Yeah. and
1: to be less rigid in expecting people to comply to a certain process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having reps that you know felt different, like, Well, I you know, I don't do it that way, and you know, that's not how. And I would be like, I know, that's why I hired you. You know, like that's why right. that's you're, your talent. Like, yeah, right. it's great that you don't do it like them. Who cares what they're doing?
1: Well, but that's again, it's if you're got the syndrome enough, managers you know, who don't have a ton of experience themselves, but also haven't been trained and enabled the right mm-hmm. way, they feel threatened by that
0: mm-hmm.
1: oftentimes or yeah. fearful about it because they know how that do they're I manage shortly, different sh- person. Right. How do you manage this different person and what if it affects our numbers?
0: Mhm. Mhm. Oh yeah, the numbers always the numbers.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I would always sort of put it to a boss is say, "Well, hold me accountable for performing, but I'm going to do it my way."
0: Right there with you, Andy. I was always very upfront about who I was as a leader in all of my interviews. Like,
1: mm-hmm. if if you
0: want like a numbers-driven, metrics-driven, you know, someone that Manages that way, don't hire me. Straight up, I'm not. I'm not going to be that person. I am always going to focus on the people, and the people will take care of my business. That's all I care about.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, yes, I was pretty much the same way. I have a story in the book about manager got sort of frustrated with me because yeah, my, I I'd be open to suggestion, open to ideas, but I always would process and say, okay, is this going to fit what I want? Mm -hmm. But it was never. It never came across as, across as blind obedience,
0: mm. which is
1: what some managers like.
0: Because mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. my perspective
1: was, well, I could go do what you want, but if it doesn't work out, I don't hit my numbers. Who gets fired, me or you? Right. So if it's going to be me, yeah. I'm gonna go out on my own terms.
0: Mm. And yeah. yeah,
1: so my this was one boss. You know, my typical answer to him was, well, huh? That's interesting. Let me, let me think about that.
0: Yeah. And they probably didn't like that so much.
1: <laughs> no, no. Yeah. One day a certain frustration goes, don't you ever just say yes to anything? Mm. The answer was, no. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, Ali, it's been great to have you on the show. If people yes. want to learn more about the services you offer and what you do, how should they do that?
0: Absolutely. So uh, where I hang out most is LinkedIn. Um, so just Ali Rosakos. and then uh, my website as well has you know what I offer, my one-on-one coaching and uh, testimonials, all that kind of good stuff, which is just Rosakos.com.
1: Perfect. All yeah. right, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Hilton Head I'm or Del Boca go. Vista.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Del Boca Vista of Hilton of uh, South Carolina. Yeah, about to go have a little cocktail by the pool. So
1: oh, Should sounds be a nice good.
0: Little Friday
1: <laughs> sounds good. All right. Yeah, Ali, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Ali Rizakos, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good solid, everyone.